Ben Shapiro here with a man I have tremendous respect for, my good friend, Attorney Barack Lurie. Barack, you've been practicing law for over 24 years. Do you have some important advice about lawsuits? Well, Ben, the law deals with conflict, right? A good attorney should help ease a lot of your anxieties because he should have perspective and know how to gather his evidence. But his main mission should always be to pursue the path toward quick resolution or settlement. Well, how do you do that? Simply by working to remove the emotion from both sides. Once you gather information and think rationally and compare strengths and weaknesses in a case, you can work on what's fair. The truly great lawyers know how to do that and quickly. You can see, folks, why I so admire Barack Lurie and all the work that he does. For all your business and real estate legal issues, call my friend Barack at 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. Listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. is the Brock Lurie Podcast. With me always is my good friend and producer, Ari Davin, who sometimes listens to my Sunday show. If if I get around to it and, you know, look, this week there'll be no football, so I'll have a free and open schedule. So that's the new marketing campaign we'll have. Please listen to the Brock Lurie Show Sundays at 10 a.m. on KRLA, you know, if you get around to it. <laughs> if you get around to it. <laughs> That'll be our tagline, if you get around to it. <laughs> you know, if you feel like it, you know, <laughs> don't want to impose dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Great marketing misfires. Yeah. All right. Uh, we Speaking about marketing misfires, um, what's up with the Pope? All right. Oh, so, a vault. All right. Well, I don't think he's saying like a vault. Uh, that's, that's Yiddish, by the way, for, a, oh, my gosh, you know, something like that. All right. Uh, look, I, I love Catholicism. I love Christians. You know how how much of a fan I am and Ari is, uh, for that matter, regarding Christianity. Thank goodness for Christians in the world. And by the way, we need a lot more of you. Please be fruitful and multiply, okay? And by the way, also please defend yourselves. Please speak out clearly against the horrific horrors that are going on uh, against you and your fellow Christians in the uh, Middle East. It's just, it makes me want to cry when I see uh, and I literally see pictures of girls being crucified. Why, why it's only girls, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Crucifixion, for crying out loud. Friggin' crucifixions. These, these monsters are uh, trying to shock us. And shock us, they are. That's what they do, and they do it well. And uh, you and I just saw, Ari, a picture of what Boko Haram did in Nigeria. And when you see the pictures of uh, the slaughter of these Truly innocent people. Uh, this is what uh, radical Islam brings. Um, you need to fight. So anyway, I, let's go back to the Pope. Uh, the Pope spoke at length about uh, his personal philosophy, not only about global warming, but uh, how it is our moral obligation to take care of the earth. And now how we, how we do that is the ultimate question, isn't it? And again, I love the Pope. I think he's, he's a great leader. Uh, I, and I, when I say the Pope, I mean the papacy. I love the idea of the papacy, and I love that people love him and such. Um, and a, a listener once gave a very good distinction between 
his personal beliefs on the one hand and edicts on the other. And I, and I, I like that, that I understand that. So I'm assuming he's speaking about his personal beliefs for the time being. And the personal beliefs involve uh, his belief that we all need to be taking care of the earth. All right. The question is, how? What, what are the mechanisms that you expect us to take care of the earth? So I, I feel it's a moral obligation, for example, and maybe you do too, Ari. When I, uh, I, I feel it's a moral obligation for me not to litter. Okay, I'm not going to litter. Uh, and, and not only that, but if I see some litter on the ground that I can easily pick up, I might pick it up. Okay? Whether I recycle it or not is a different story. Okay? But I'll pick it up and throw it away. Likewise, I'm not going to waste gas because I don't like dirty air and I won't keep my car running unnecessarily at least. But I also won't go crazy about it either. But that's a far cry from having our own personal um, restrictions and obligations about how to be kind to the earth and to keep society in a clean, a healthy way, to keep our cars clean, for example, to keep our houses clean, to maintain our own decorum and, and to make sure that we're inoculated and, and all the stuff from diseases. It's different uh, on the one hand saying that and expecting the government to have these massive laws. And I'm wondering, what does the Pope mean? Does he mean that by having a moral imperative to take care of the earth, that each country must impose laws upon each of the uh, corporations out there that, for example, spew carbon emissions out there, you know, the dreaded and evil carbon emissions? What is it? Because if it's the latter then we've got a problem because certainly the Pope that preceded him, Pope John Paul II, was not of that mindset at all. He was of the mindset that that sort of all-encompassing command and control governmental thinking was dangerous. You have two very different visions of two different popes, don't you? And for that matter, all popes that preceded this pope Again, I like this Pope for other reasons. He's made some very interesting and astute comments, uh, particularly about gay marriage. Although at the same time, he says, you know, let's embrace more uh, in terms of and be more accepting of gays. And I, I, I guess I respect that. But at the same time, I think I see him branching out into areas that previous popes uh, did not feel it was their place to reach into. Uh, and you know, it's one thing for a pope to say, uh, as Pope John Paul II said himself, you know, let's encourage peace, let's, uh, let's, let's get to the peace table, war is bad. Okay, that's fine. We all agree to that. It's another thing to say, this is what you need to do. So, um, there's, there's a fine line there. I don't know exactly what the fine law is, but I'm a little bit concerned about it. More, of more concern to me, of course, is President Obama. Um, and his recent efforts to uh, not address the radical Islam that is upon us. We talked before about, in our very good episode, uh, I think it's one of our most listened to episodes, Ari, there's something odd about Obama, and odd in parentheses. 
We talked about the strange things that seem to be going on vis-a-vis -vis his response to the Muslim world. And we talked about how he bowed to the Saudi king or prince, I forget, how he did his apology tour, how he claimed that he loved the, the call to prayer when he was in Indonesia, how he expected the new head of NASA that he appointed to direct his energies toward showcasing the great successes of Muslims in science, how he said in 2012 that the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam, how he responded to Israel in the Gaza war as if somehow they were the instigator or that they were the one perpetuating all wrongs. And it goes on, right? We talked about all this stuff. And one of the greatest indicators of, of concern that I have is his, and we, we didn't really talk about it too much, although I think it maybe was implicit, was his refusal, refusal to use the phrase radical Islam. And it's not just his personal refusal to use that word. You know, I, I, I don't say the word, uh, you know, I don't swear. I don't like to swear even though it's a podcast and I can say anything I gosh darn like, right? But that's me. I wouldn't oppose that upon you or anyone else. But he, he not, not only does he refuse to use the phrase radical Islam, but he makes sure that nobody in his administration uses that phrase or anyone in, his, in the government uses that phrase. That's a top-down thing. There's been a memo sent a clear, clear uh, message from the top saying you will not use the word radical Islam. You will describe it as radical violence or extreme violence, I think is the actual phrase that they use. And this, I think to me, is perhaps the greatest concern that I have of all because it is the most clear, egregious way of demonstrating how he does not want to see the evil. And he knows that it's tied to Islam. Not that Islam is in and of itself evil. You don't have to even go there. <clears throat> because he's not, we're not saying that he should say the reason why this is happening is because of the tenets of Islam, right? We're simply asking him to say radical Islam. By definition, the use of the word radical gives a caveat to the Islam. He's, he's carving it out. There's this radical group of people who are using Islam, and, and you can even say it in the most torturous, most inappropriate ways, and they're hijacking the religion, but it's still, nevertheless, their interpretation of Islam. You could say that. But of course, he, and he has said that in different ways, and he's constantly apologizing, constantly telling us that this is not real Islam, and this is you know, what did he say? Least of all Islam. That was my favorite one. Did we use that in our previous podcast? I can't remember, but you're right. He does a lot of times say a statement, and then it, it, as often as he uses the phrase, make no mistake, he'll right. use least of all Islam. Right, right. Least of, yeah, that's right. And, and this was uh, hardly the tenets of, uh, of a religious faith, least of all that of Islam. Right, suggesting Jews are dead. Yeah, fine. Yeah. everyone, at least right. of all, Islam. Though. That's right. Yeah, those Christians and those Jews. Well, you know, they they certainly have their scallywags out there, and they yeah, they, they've got quite a group of people. 
who are willing to kill and butcher in the name of their crazy God, but uh, least of all Islam. You know, they, they're, they're the they're the peaceful religion. You understand? Right. Unlike that blood fueled Jewish matzah mill. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. You right. know that uh, you have to worry about us, don't you know? Man. Oh man. Um, so this is this is what we have to deal with. I, I'm I'm a little bit tormented by by this issue because I think it's so clear. You and I both think it's clear. The pieces are adding up. And the other night I was asking myself, maybe maybe we've all been grappling with this. We believe in God, right? And it's been one of the things that kind of troubled me. Um, I mean. <laughs> Uh, the atheists will ask, how can there be a God that would allow the Holocaust, right? Or something horrific like that. And that's, that's a fair question, and we can address that at one day. But you and I can ask, hey, there's a God. How can a God allow a, a man like, as bad as Obama to be reelected? Not just elected in the first place, but be reelected. And I think you and I came to the conclusion that, first of all, God does not interfere in such things in any event. It's up to us to engage in free will. But to the extent that he does get involved or that he lets it happen, that he lets this glorious country called America um, suffer this way, because we are suffering with Obama. He's, he's creating, hopefully not irretrievably, uh, but he's creating a world that we may not be able to return from. But I, I, I think we can actually save, we can reconcile, we can retrieve the world that we may have lost. And perhaps the reason is that one of the benefits is that we actually get to see how crazy liberalism really is and how clearly um, this president is a defender of Islam. Again, that doesn't mean, and, and, and you know, we have to always caveat ourselves now because when people listen to us, they write emails saying, how can you say you that he's a Muslim? call him a Muslim. Right. We didn't say that he's a traitor. I mean, excuse me. Barack didn't call him a Muslim. <laughs> I did not call him a Muslim. Uh, and, and I didn't say anything. And just know, for your listening, say I would call him a Muslim, but I wasn't talking. Yeah, well, okay, but, so I, but I don't agree with that. That's not even important right now. Right. It's immaterial. It's totally immaterial. The fact that he could be a, a born Christian all the way through, and let's assume that he is. It doesn't matter because what matters is his actions, right? I can be the, the most profound of Orthodox Jews, um, following every mitzvah, every commandment, and yet at the same time commit a horrible crime, okay, and be a jerk in the process. That's a great movie. We should call your brother Bank Robbing Rabbi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I think I feel we're digressing here. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, so, so you understand that the point is that it doesn't matter whether he's officially Christian. It, what matters is what we're seeing now. Because when you piece all these things together, he's clearly defending Islam in every way possible. He never takes Islam to task. He never says, for example, look, I mean, he could, he could easily say the following. Um, I think Islam is wonderful. I think there's many great things about it. But frankly, these radicals who are doing these horrible things in the name of Islam must understand that they are hurting Islam's name. Okay? You, you, the moderates among you must stand up and speak strongly that you condemn this 100%. And I encourage our Muslim friends in the Middle East to do just that. Right? What's wrong with that? Why, why wouldn't he say such a thing? Even if he is 
somebody who's defending Islam? Why not be like the Egyptian? Uh, there was Al Sisi. Al Sisi, right? He said worse to this effect. He said, "This is despicable. What's happening in the name of Islam? We must stop this. Uh, a moderate Islam must speak out now, right?" And and most impressively, he did this at Al Azhar University in front of a room packed with the highest ranking imams in the country. Yeah. Telling them, you have to preach this in the mosques. You have to moderate your behavior. I mean, talk about the balls for, to do that. I was just going to say, I was going to say two words for that. Huev os. <laughs> two syllables. Clang. <laughs> okay, so let's, 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 we'll try to be a little bit of a family uh, podcast, so we'll be a little bit cautious about it. But okay, gotta, guts. He's got guts. Yeah. G-U-T-S, guts. And this, this man is, uh, is really amazing. In the, he's in the belly of the beast, as it were. We could, we could be as tough-minded as we want on this podcast and otherwise here in America. We take minimal risk. But that man, that's guts. In his own religion. Okay? It, they expect us, as Christians and Jews and non-Muslims, to speak out against Islam. They're not surprised about that. Uh, they don't want us to say the word Muhammad, but nevertheless... That's what they, they, they expected of us. But when a, a Muslim does this and, and uh, preaches against it, that is unacceptable to them. Uh, someone within the uh, ideology can very easily declare a fatwa that he became an apostate and put a death sentence on his head. And the people who make up his security detail are Muslims. Yeah. That's the kind of risk this guy took. Let's talk uh, um, about a, a theme that I said, because this actually dovetails very nicely into a theme that I've noticed the other day. Um, I, I was watching a, um, I always love about talking about perspective, right? You see, we talk a lot about patterns on this show. We make a lot of predictions as a result of seeing those patterns. One of the things I observed was, and we studied the, the nature of evil and such, and bear with me as I go along with this. You're in a field, let's say Nebraska. You know, Nebraska's famous for being flat. So very, very flat field that stretches for miles and miles. And you're on the field and you don't know anything else. You've just, you've just arrived on the planet from out of nowhere. And you look across the field and what do you see? Flat, 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 flat. And somebody asks you, okay, what do you think of the nature of the earth? And the man says, uh, it's flat. And he would be reasonable to make that conclusion, correct? Right. You're nodding your head. That's good. Yes. <laughs> now he's affirmed it verbally. Yes. All right. So it is, a, you know, to his mind, it's flat. And it's understandable because from his perspective, there is just too much land relative to his small uh, size on the planet to make a distinction that there's a curvature, to, to see that curvature. Now, if he were a giant... And a giant so big that he could actually see the curvature of the earth, he would say, you know what, as I, as I rethink this question, I'm beginning to see a curvature, and I'm wondering whether or not it might be like a ball or something like that. And then, of course, he's a little bit bigger, and now he sees that, wow, this is, this is a sphere. This, this is indeed a ball, like uh, it, it, it suggests. Okay, so it's perspective, isn't it? Now, here's where I'm going with this. The, the liberal approach, and I'm talking about the far leftist approach, we often talk about how it fails to see consequences and such. But another way to view liberal thinking 
is what I call flat earth thinking. They are very much like that man in a lonely, very flat field in Nebraska, looking around and concluding that the earth is flat. Because from their limited vantage point, this is the way things are. It's flat. So like it, that's the way it is for a lot of liberals when it comes to evil. And we'll talk about other things that they believe in, and you'll see how it fits. But when they look at evil, they see, hey, you know what? Every Muslim I know is nice. Every, uh, I, I don't feel terrorism, right? I mean, I, I'm going to my work and I go in my car. Evil doesn't exist, okay? And whatever you say, my conservative friend, well, you're exaggerating. In fact, you're not, you're not telling the truth at all. And it takes them some time to figure this out. Now, obviously, there are many liberals who understand that there's a real war going on. But for many people, it doesn't touch them. They don't see it. It's as if they don't see the curvature of the earth in my flat earth example. Here's another example of a flat earth thinking in the liberal mindset. Racism. They fail to see that there is virtually no racism in America. If they were to pull out, pull up from the, the sky and actually look at all the public, sorry, all the police reports and all the alleged um, white cop on black co uh, uh, victim. victim situations that virtually none of them are like the alleged Ferguson situation, which it turns out to be a false narrative in the first place. So they're constantly looking for that. But they, they've decided from what they see, again, the flat earth part of it, well, if this white cop hurt this black man, therefore it's happening all over the place. You understand? And this white academy would nominate the director of Selma. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So therefore, it's flat everywhere. In other words, there's racism everywhere. Okay? This is their vantage point. That's all they can think. That's the only way. They, they see what's in front of them, and that's all that there is. Okay? So it's, um, it, it dovetails a little bit into the salience concept where, you know, for example, people, all they know about Israel is what they see in the conflict in the Palestinian territories, and they decide that's what all of Israel is, and they'd be, they'd be totally wrong. But of course, that's all they see, salience. The same thing is true, um, and if, they, if they actually knew about racism, they would know that racism is largely just gone from America. There's always a little bit, of course, but it means it's, it's, it's just minuscule compared, well, compared to the racism in, in every other country in the world. And when people say that, Israel, uh, that, uh, Israel, that America is the most racist country, they, they fail to see the big picture, which is to lift themselves up and see the curvature of the earth, as it were, and finally realize that, in fact, America is the least racist country by far. That's right, by far. And again, we're not saying that there's no racism in America. Of course there is. But there, it, and there always be, will be racist America. I don't care if it's a thousand years from now. There'll be a, there'll be somebody who's a racist moron and will discriminate against somebody because they're black. You know what? They're morons. Okay. But it's nowhere close to the endemic thing that it was in the 50s and before. It has been 
wildly a thing of the past. It's been eradicated. Right. And the only the only racism that does exist, and it, and this is is in fact very prevalent, is the reverse racism that's going on, the soft bigotry of low expectations that affirmative action provides, and busing, and welfare, and telling black people that they are victims over and over again. That is true racism. Yeah, until they believe it. But your point is so important because, to add on to it, the racism that does exist in America, when it comes public, is never legitimized by anything in the mainstream. Yeah. And, and it's usually rejected by 99% of the people who see it. Right. It is immediately shouted down. It is not tolerated in public to treat people in a racist, bigoted way in front of other people. Right, and hence why... Because it's news, because they want it to be news, the news media will look, search for that unicorn of a white cop beating senseless a poor, innocent black student who is an A student, of course, um, who has done nothing wrong with his, uh, his life, and he was just picked on because of his black. Uh, but they, they can't find it. They, keep, they have the, the, the Zimmermans. Right and uh, the um, the cop, the Darren Wilson, Darren Wilson character, and of course the the cop and the, ch- the chokehold thing, which turned out to be not the chokehold that killed him. So they, but this they have to make it into something, and they're constantly searching for that unicorn. Yeah. And 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 the lacrosse, ca- the Duke lacrosse case, remember that, which is the most vulgar, despicable attempt at creating white racism upon blacks. Uh, a black girl, the, the ultimate, right? Uh, Tawana Brawley, I think, might have been worse. Yeah, that's even more disgusting. Yeah, but it, and in every one of these situations, <coughs> something really inconvenient happens to their narrative. Uh, Facts. Mike Brown <laughs> did steal the cigars. Trayvon Martin was on drugs and was involved in, in crops and robberies in his past. Tawana Brawley was lying. Uh, Crystal Magnum was lying. Yeah, exactly. What's <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, it was all those things. By the way, because uh, uh, so, I want to address this right now, um, a leftist listening to this show will say, come on, man, you're, you're saying that just because he did commit a crime that he deserved to die? That's what you're saying. It's speaking about uh, um, Mike Brown. Mike Brown. And uh, just because he was, um, he was uh, selling uh, loose cigarettes, he deserves to die? And, of course, we didn't say anything of the, of the kind. Nothing of the kind. What we are saying is that the facts... Not, not so much that he stole it, um, uh, anything from the convenience store, Michael Brown, just sticking to him for a second. The facts were completely opposite of what you, my liberal friends, wanted it to be. You wanted it to be that it was a poor, innocent, young black kid who was just minding his own business and just wanted to surrender, and he was just shot in the back. You wanted that so badly. I don't know why you wanted it so badly, but you want to believe that this country is so friggin' racist and it just couldn't match with reality. And, that is, and when it didn't yeah. match with reality, you said, I don't care. I'm going to say that's it, what, it, what it is anyway. And I'm going to continue you know, protesting as though it happened just like that. I'm going to continue with my hands up and say, hands up, don't shoot, over and over again. And I'm going to have riots in the street after the fact. That's what I'm going to say. And, and the most insane thing about it, 
sorry I'm judging you liberals, is what kind of idiot would want this country to be more racist than it is? Yeah. What kind of idiot would want that to exist just so you can exploit it as a story? Right. Who would want to live oh, in a point. society needing to make that much progress? Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, that's a very good point. Why is it, my dear liberal friends, and we have a lot of liberal listeners, by the way, a lot. So I'm asking you, and feel free to, to email me, info at lurie-law.com. You who have seen the facts as they are, why is it that you desire to see this racism? Why is it that you hunt for this? I mean, is it because you're, and one, one answer is that you're just being lulled, you're a sucker for whatever the news cameras tell you to, to believe. But I think it's more than that. I think that you, you may want to believe it. You, you desire it. You desire the conclusion that we are in a racist country. And, and that's what Ari's point is. And I, and I wonder about that, too. But have you ever checked in with yourself, my, my liberal friend, the one who believes this, at least, uh, among you liberals, have you ever checked in and you say, why, is it, why am I so eager to believe this? Wouldn't you rather say to yourself, do the facts suggest that we live in a, in a racist country or a largely non-racist country? Which you would rather believe, first of all, and, and if you would rather believe that we're living in a, a rather non-racist country, then can't you see the facts? Can't you pull yourself up uh, from, the, from the ground where you are and see the curvature of the earth and decide, wait a minute, I don't see too many examples of this racism that you're talking about. I mean, sure. Even the one or two, even if they were true, that that happened exactly as Michael Brown supporters would have you believe that he was shot in cold blood, which would be horrible, I agree. Let's say that it happened. And let's say that Eric Garner also was, uh, was killed purposefully, uh, and, and it was excessive police force and such like that. And they killed him precisely because of the chokehold. Let's say that, that that's true. It's two incidences, my friends, two and how can you extrapolate from that and say that that is endemic to all police forces? I mean, you have to be intellectually honest. And, and, do you, and if you believe that that's somehow still endemic of the wild racism, are you forgetting all the times that the police may have killed innocently an innocent white guy? Or, I'm sorry, purposefully an innocent white guy. Or an innocent Mexican. Or that a Mexican police officer killed a black person. Or a black officer killed a white guy. You're conveniently ignoring all those things because the cameras will never touch those things. Or that black guy who happened to be a Muslim killing a Hispanic and a Chinese cop premeditated as an uh, assault. Yeah, you, you'll ignore those things because those are not convenient. You, you won't put that in perspective. And you need to ask yourself, my liberal friends, why? Why are you ignoring these facts? You, you know these facts are, are true, right? You know that there are overstepping of authority and bounds by the police. They make mistakes, but it's not necessarily because of the color of the, the person's skin. It's simply because they're overreaching or they're just not even doing anything wrong in the first place. You need to ask yourself, why am I so invested in this? What motivates me here? What, what result do I want from this? And if, if the result that you're looking for is that we live in a racist society, what do you want to accomplish from that? Sometimes it's good to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I so energized about this? And maybe that's the point of the story. 
My friends, this is Barack Lurie. This has been the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you real soon. Stop.